0: David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king said, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. So David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Iber, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord, the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet.
1: Okay, well, we're thinking about a new year. Not only a new year, but a new decade. We are now living in the 20s. Whew. Did you make any New Year's resolutions? I wonder. Many people do. A survey by YouGov was conducted in December, a few weeks ago. It found the top five most commonly cited New Year resolutions in this country. They were as follows. I wonder if you can guess what the the number one resolution people had for the year was. Come on. Lose weight, you're really close. 47% of people said they wanted to do more exercise. Secondly, it was lose weight. That was closely behind it, 44%. Thirdly, improve my diet. Fourth, save more money. Fifth, take up a hobby. Now, I wonder if any of those sound familiar to you. Really, there are no surprises on that list, are there? But, you know, there is something crucial that is missing from that list, something which ought to be in the top five at least. Perhaps it should be at the very top of the list. There should be something in our resolutions about our character. Our character, because ultimately your character is of far greater significance than your fitness, slimness, nutrition, or even bank balance, far greater. Now one of the greatest speeches of the 20th century, which we know well, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke on the steps of the Washington Memorial in in the US. And he spoke about one of the most pressing issues in his country at that time. He was speaking about race relations and racism was endemic in the, the United States. And we know that speech as, I have a dream. Now King said in that speech, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. Character. The content of the character, indeed, it is more important than almost anything else about you. What you're like, your moral qualities, what you're like to other people, what you're like under pressure, your character. And as we come into this new year, in fact, to this new decade, I want to urge you as a person And urge us as a church to consider our character in light of the Bible. What kind of a person will you be this year? Now today we're going to look at one aspect of character that is absolutely critical to live well. One aspect that is absolutely critical for the health of community and for the good of civil society. It's fundamental to a good marriage or a good friendship or to a good family life, even to a good workplace. And it's actually very simple. You ready for it? Kindness. Kindness. This simple quality is very easily overlooked, but the Bible describes it as an attribute of God himself. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says, Behold, therefore, the kindness and severity of God. God. God is kind, and those who know God will be like him. So Christians should be kind. Now we find this quality emphasized today in the life of David. We're back in our series on David for five more weeks, and it's really striking here that as soon as David gets established as king, which he's waited for for years, the first thing he tries to do is to show kindness. The text repeatedly emphasizes this. There are three moments in our chapter where David says, I want to show kindness. It's making a point to us. So what better way for us to start a new year? I want to urge you all to resolve today that you will become a kinder person in 2020. What would it be like if we were known for this? If our church was known for its kindness? Now, We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's on page 312, if you've closed your Bible. Peter Lightheart, who's a scholar, describes this chapter as one of the most moving and beautiful stories in the Old Testament in which David offered the kindness of God to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. It is a beautiful story. And in it, we learn about the kindness of King David when he was at his best. And more than that, we learn through it about the kindness of God himself. So I just have two really simple points. Firstly, the kindness of David. And secondly, the kindness of God. The kindness of David and the kindness of God. Now, the kindness of David. Samuel was originally one book. We have it as two. It's an epic story of how God provided a king for his people, Israel. And first of all, God gave the people Saul, who was the king that the people asked for. And the little lesson in there is Be careful what you ask God for, because he might give it to you. That king was Saul. He was like the kings of the nations around. He was head and shoulders taller above any other man. He was an impressive-looking guy. But Saul was a tragic figure who, having been given the privileges and the status and the honor of king... squandered it and disobeyed God and refused, critically refused to repent when he was faced with his own sin. But meanwhile, God was preparing his own king. Now kings were anointed with oil. They would take some oil and pour it over their head at their commissioning ceremony. And this phrase, anointed one, in the Hebrew language is Mashiach or Messiah, which in the Greek language is the word we translate Christ. So the Messiah, the Christ, is the anointed king. So God, in Samuel, chooses his Messiah when he chooses David. He sends Samuel to anoint him specially. And we saw how David is this really unlikely choice. He's the eighth son. He's out in the fields. They don't even call him in when Samuel comes to visit. He's described as the little one. He could easily be overlooked. But he had a beauty of his own for those who would stop And look, and God had plucked this little one from obscurity and chosen him to be the king. And it says he's the only person in the Bible that's described as a man after God's own heart. And we trace the story from David's early success over Goliath and these arch enemies of the country, the Philistines. And then we found David in the wilderness years. Because Saul was plagued with jealousy, tormented by evil spirits, he saw David as a rival and a threat so he tried to kill him and there was this dangerous period of years it was like cat and mouse with Saul chasing David through the desert trying to track him down and David taking refuge in caves and in strange places with a few followers around him but David trusted God and he refused to take the shortcut to power even when he had the opportunity eventually Saul was killed in battle at the end of first Samuel along with three of his sons including Jonathan and so David as finally anointed king, first of all by the tribe of Judah, and then a few years later by all Israel. He was determined to put the worship of God back at the center of national life, so he arranged for the ark to be brought to the new capital, Jerusalem. And in chapter 7 of this book, 2 Samuel, God spoke to David and made him the most amazing promise. David had ideas and projects of how he would build a house for God, but God said, no, 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 I will build a house for God for you god's promise to david was ultimately to change the world because david becomes the bridge the bridge between god's promises to abraham in the first part of the bible that he will bless every family on earth the bridge from abraham to jesus christ great david's greater son And that's all because of God's promise in 2 Samuel 7. And chapter 8, the one just before where we are now, is a kind of a summary chapter. It shows how God establishes David uh, through victory over all his enemies, and he establishes a well-ordered kingdom. And right before the, the, the verse we read, it says in chapter 8 verse 15, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. And you can't really ask for more than that, can you, from a a ruler, from a, a president, a prime minister, a king, that they do what is just and right for all people? A good king. However, what we see in this chapter today is another level. It is astonishing. It is not what most of us would expect would reasonably expect in a kingdom that is just and right because it goes far beyond that in chapter 9 we see David not being just and right but showing extraordinary kindness to one who would naturally have been his enemy David is kind and so here we see this important characteristic of the kingdom of God God's kingdom is a kingdom of kindness to those who were once enemies Verse 1, David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And in verse 3, they bring this guy Zeba, and he says to him, look, is, this, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And then in verse 7, it's repeated again in case we missed it. David says to Mephibosheth, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you Kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now that he's, rest, he's established as king, David could easily have rested on his laurels. He could have concentrated on the things that kings do. National security, fine dining, and working on his golf swing. But he's determined to track down any last remnants of the house of Saul in order to show kindness. And they tell him that there is one left. He's the son of Jonathan, David's great friend. So that means he's Saul's grandson, and his name is Mephibosheth. And he's hiding out in an obscure town called Debar. We'll think more about that name later. So David summons him. Now, this is not the first time that Mephibosheth has made an appearance in the story. Back in chapter four, verse four, he was mentioned, and it says there that Jonathan had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old, when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, they'd been killed in battle, his nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. In other words, it seems that he was dropped during the frantic flight after the death of Saul and Jonathan. And he was crippled in both his feet as a a young boy. Now, what did this Mephibosheth feel when he heard the summons to appear before King David. Do you know, it is reasonable to assume that he was absolutely terrified. It was standard practice in the ancient world that when a new king came to power, he would wipe out every remaining descendant of his predecessor. It was standard practice because any remaining descendant could become a rallying point for the king's enemies and then spark a rebellion and civil war and all the chaos that that would bring. So this, that kind of thing often happened. So the new king was actually vulnerable until there had been a complete purge. Any surviving descendants were a threat and a risk. They had to be removed. And you know, everyone did it and everyone expected it. So Mephibosheth gets the royal uh, telegram. He's not excited. He's not going to pick out his outfit, you know, for the queen's garden party. He's going into the presence of the king, fully expecting to lose his head. And we see in verse 6, he bows down to the ground, probably not expecting to rise up from the ground. He's not happy to be there. And now we see the kindness of David. Verse 7, don't... Be afraid. In fact, there are three phrases in this text that I think capture the kindness of David, and I want to dwell on them for a moment. Firstly, don't be afraid. Secondly, eat at my table, verse 10, and verse 11, like one of the king's sons. Don't be afraid. Imagine what Mephibosheth felt when he heard these words. He's got plenty of reasons to think that David will have him bumped off. He's tried to offer his service to the king. But David just says one word to him initially, Mephibosheth. Was there an unexpected tone in his voice? There certainly was an unexpected sentence to follow. Don't be afraid. David speaks not now as a king, but as a friend of his father. And he had made Jonathan a binding promise. Many years before, when they'd last met, Jonathan had asked him, David, show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And don't ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And David kept that promise years later. So he speaks as a friend, not as an enemy. Don't be afraid. What wonderful words they are. But this is just the prelude to more wonderful words because David then grants Mephibosheth more than he could possibly have dreamed of. Verse seven, he says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Now, that's quite an estate, isn't it? And you will always eat at my table. Verse nine, he summons Zeba. And Zeba's a man of some substance. He has 15 sons of his own and 20 servants. And he says, "Ziba." You and your household are going to farm the land of Mephibosheth, all of that, and look after it, and give this guy a solid income. So, in a stroke, Mephibosheth has gone from groveling on the ground to being a rich man, amply provided for until the day he dies. Don't be afraid. David has now fulfilled his promise to Jonathan. But you know, there's more, because he also says in verse 10 eat at my table. Eat at my table. Mephibosheth had come saying, I'm at your service. But David replies, at my table. You see, David is not merely fulfilling his duty here. He's not merely tolerating Mephibosheth. He goes way further. He's inviting him into relationship. Eating together is a powerful symbol of friendship. It's true today, but it was even more true back then if you shared table fellowship with someone, if you broke bread with them, you were bound by something not easily broken. And here we see God's king taking his potential enemy and saying, you will eat at my table. It's a sign of God's grace. Don't be afraid, eat at my table. But the third thing is perhaps the most remarkable, verse 11, He ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He's like a son. Remember that David was the conquering king. He subdued the nations. He was was consolidating his kingdom. And, And Mephibosheth here comes before him, but he finds no reason to fear. Instead, he finds refuge. Yet David takes it further still, and he treats him like a royal son. Now, scholars have pointed out that the name Mephibosheth means or contains a Hebrew word that means shame. He was a man who had known shame. He was belonged to a disgraced family, the family of Saul, that had been defeated and crushed. He was from that house. He was living in a place called Lodabar, which means no word or nothing. You know Levenseum train station, South Manchester, has a little... Street sign next to it that says the street with no name. Low de bar. There's nothing to say about it. So here's a man with shame in his name living in Nowhereville. And let's not forget that Saul's, Mephibosheth's grandfather Saul had cruelly betrayed David and bent all his power on trying to destroy him. Let's not forget that Mephibosheth himself was a potential threat, a risk a person who could become a rallying point for enemies. David would have been well within his rights to say, okay, I'll let this guy live out of respect for Jonathan, but he will be under house arrest for the rest of his days. But David takes a huge risk. He treats him like a royal son. He brings him into relationship. He brings him into intimacy. This is all the more remarkable when we consider two more things that this text tells us about this young man firstly he was crippled in both feet now in that time period it meant that he was unable to perform any useful service for king david we're fortunate to live in a world now where there are many things that enable disabled people to work do important jobs but in those times all you could really do was work on the farm or serve in the army mephibosheth can't do either and secondly in verse 12 it tells us that he too had a son micah clearly another threat to David if he's allowed to live so what are we seeing here about kindness three things it is costly it is relational and it is covenantal firstly it's costly it costs David to be kind to this guy he, he, he loses all the estates and land of Saul and all the income from that it costs him he takes the risk uh, that he, he might be, have a, people rise up against him. He takes that risk. Secondly, it's relational. He doesn't just hand him the stuff and say goodbye. He brings him into the family. He brings him into his heart. He opens himself up to Mephibosheth. He invests in him and he doesn't get anything back. Thirdly, it is covenantal. Now, covenants were binding promises that people made in the ancient world And we make them two today. Whenever you get, if a person gets married, two people get married, they enter into a covenant. And a covenant is a binding set of promises that is more intimate than just a legal contract, but also more committed and binding than just an emotional feeling. It's a way of connecting yourself to someone else that will never end. And David had entered into a covenant with Jonathan. And so here, years later, the covenant Implications flow out into the life of Mephibosheth. Now that leads us thinking about the the kindness of David to think about us. Because this text is not an ancient history lesson. It is God's living word for us in 2020, a new year, a new decade. And I want to focus on one key phrase. Look again with me, please. At verse 3, the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? God's kindness. You see, David is honoring a covenant that he made with Jonathan. But his loyalty to Jonathan is an expression of the kindness of God. The word underneath this means steadfast love. Steadfast love or covenant faithfulness. So how does this connect with you and me? Let's just think for a few minutes about those three phrases. Don't be afraid. Eat at my table. Be like a son. Don't be afraid. What wonderful words they are. And they're echoed a thousand years later by an angel speaking to some shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Don't be afraid. God's Messiah has come. And it is good news for all who will submit to him. So do not fear. You know, Jesus himself took these words upon his lips some 30-odd years after that. Some broken-hearted women went to look at his tomb after he'd been cruelly murdered on the cross but there was a violent earthquake an angel of God had come down from heaven rolled back the stone of the tomb which was empty and sat on it his appearance was like lightning his clothes were white as snows, absolutely terrifying but the angel tells them not to be afraid Jesus is not here he's risen just as he said he would and so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid but filled with joy and ran to tell the disciples and then suddenly Jesus himself met them greetings he said and they came and fell at his feet and worshipped him and then Jesus said these words do not be afraid do not fear and that is the glorious message of the Bible the good news there's now no need to fear the king says the king of all the universe says to you, do not be afraid. Are you coming into this new year afraid of something? It's a terrible feeling. Drains all your strength. You feel you want to hide away. You feel you can't share yourself with people because you haven't got the emotional energy. Fear is this crippling emotion. What are you afraid of? this new year Jesus Christ says do not be afraid take heart I have overcome the world there's a great song that we sometimes sing here I think it's an old hymn that's been put to new music now why this fear and unbelief has not the father put to grief his spotless son for us And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin now cancelled at the cross? Jesus, all my trust is in your blood. Jesus, you've rescued us through your great love. Be still, my soul, and know this peace. The merits of your great high priest have bought your liberty. Rely then on his precious blood. Don't fear your banishment from God, since Jesus sets you free. Do not fear. Secondly, eat at my table. You know, David invited Mephibosheth into relationship with the king. And it is exactly the same for you, Christian brother and sister, today. Only on a far greater scale. Jesus Christ does not merely tolerate you. You ever wonder if Jesus really likes you? You know, I mean, you you may may believe that he's died to forgive your sins, but does he really want to be around you? He invites you into a relationship of intimacy and friendship and love that will never end. Jesus Christ says to you, eat at my table. That's why we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, he gave us this meal, bread and wine. We remember they're a pledge of his love to us. No matter what you think of yourself, no matter that you struggle to love yourself, that you actually despise yourself, Jesus Christ loves you and says, You come and eat at my table. I love to have you here. I want to hear from you. Do not fear. Eat at my table. And thirdly, maybe the greatest thing of all, be like a son. Be like a son or a daughter. Mephibosheth was a man of shame, living in a place of insignificance. He had no ability to provide useful service. He couldn't bring anything. He said, I'm at your service. He had nothing to offer. He even says of himself in this chapter, I'm a dead dog. I'm a dead dog. You know, I'm absolutely worthless and useless. And yet, David says, I want you for a son. I want to adopt you, bring you into the family. You know, Perhaps that's like you as well. You look at yourself and you think, I, I'm just a dead dog. I've got nothing to offer anyone. Jesus Christ looks upon you and says, I want you in my family. Come. Accept my offer of forgiveness. Come. Bring yourself into the grace that I offer. Become part of my kingdom. So this year as we move into a new year and a new decade, will we be people of kindness? Kindness. Bearing in mind what we've learned about it, that it is costly. It doesn't come free to those who are being kind. It is relational. It involves bringing people into a place where they can be in your heart and can hurt you. It is coming out of a covenant. Will you grow in this Virtue of kindness in the year ahead. And let me ask, as we, the last couple of minutes, where do you think you need to grow in kindness during 2020? Husbands, are you kind to your wife? Are you kind to her? You know, once the honeymoon phase of marriage is over, I don't know how long it lasts for, Few, a few weeks. Once the honeymoon phase is over, you basically have to get used to the reality that marriage is two sinners rubbing along together in this journey of life and dealing with all the hassle and weariness of existence. And it's easy to become unkind. Husbands, will you be kind this year? Over the Christmas break, we realized our family were not being patient with one another and we weren't speaking. Nicely, as we say to the children. So my wife decided that we should all meet and have a little time of meditation around First Corinthians 13. Great description of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. And after we'd meditated on that for 20 minutes, the family changed. Will you be kind to your wife? Wives... Will you be kind to your husband? Now, sometimes this takes a different kind of texture and form from the woman to the man. It may be more a matter of respect. You know, men basically are idiots, and women figure that out pretty quick. So it's, it's quite difficult to have respect for a husband. But actually, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Will you be kind to him? Overlook his shortcomings. Praise him where you can. Encourage him to be a good servant leader in the home. Parents here, are you kind to your children? You know, it's very easy to be kind to other people's children because we can give them back. But when the door's shut and your children are still being difficult and disobedient and they're doing that thing. And, you know, I have reminded them to to wash their hands and and, and put the toilet seat up and and, and all those things 300, 400 times last year and they're still not doing it. Can we be kind to our children, not exasperate them? Children here, you youth and teenagers, are you kind to your siblings? Yes, they are the ones who will get on your nerves more than anyone else. Will you resolve to be kind to them this year? That's costly. And bring them into your heart. Friends, is there a friend who has hurt you, disappointed you? A friend who has let you down in some way? You felt you, you, you wanted them to be there, they, they weren't there for you. This friend, uh, uh, there's something about them, you, know, you, you just feel disappointed in the relationship. Will you, will you give them more grace? Be kind to them in the year ahead. What about those of you who go out to work? Will we be people of kindness in the office? The shop floor? The lecture theatre, kind to our colleagues, customers, boss. How can we be known as a church of kindness? Well, only if we know that we've received the kindness of God in his son, Jesus Christ. So we then can share that with others today. The thing that will make you kind is the same thing that made David kind. It is remembering your friend. David's friend was Jonathan. Jonathan had sworn his love and loyalty to David. He said, I'll protect you from my father. Even though I'm still going to be trying to be as loyal to my father as I can, I'm going to protect you from him. And he's trying to kill you. And Jonathan took off his robe, remember? He took off his sword. He gave them to David. He gave up his throne for David. He was finally killed in a hopeless battle along with his father and two brothers on Mount Gilboa. That meant that David had a friend who had loved him covenantally. David had a friend who would put himself in harm's way to take David out of harm's way. A friend who had lost his throne so that David could ascend the throne. What a friend. David had a friend like that and so do you. His name is Jesus Christ. A friend who had loved you even to death. A friend who put himself in harm's way to take you out of harm's way. A friend who gave up his throne in heaven and took up his, was enthroned on a cross so that you could be made glorious one day. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to him in prayer. So this year, will we remember the kindness of the king? The kindness of God himself. And ask that the Lord will melt our hearts and change us so that we will be kind people. Let's pray.